that's here among us. We thank you for direction and for utterance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. We're going to start in John chapter 8. We, uh, we taught some things uh, last week, introduced some things last Wednesday night that we called Building Blocks to Victory. I, I think that's what the title we gave to it. And, uh, and it was something that the Lord put on my heart just at the last minute. And so over the last week, I've had a chance to meditate on a lot of things that we said before and, and um, think about how to apply these things or how I did apply these things in my life. Most of you know my story. I got saved when I was six years old, but I didn't hear what we know of as the, the Word of God taught until I was about 21. And uh, I, I had one tape series. I don't know where it came from. Surely somebody gave it to me, but I don't remember the particulars about it. But the tape series was one by Brother Hagen, Mountain Moving Faith. It had six, series, six cassette tapes in there. And, um, and the first time I heard the, the first part of the first tape, I was hooked. He, Brother Hagen was talking about things that I didn't think were possible. He was talking about having a relationship with God that was far beyond anything that I had ever known or experienced up to that time. He was talking about God answering your prayers and, and walking by faith living by faith to such a degree that he would always hear you and provide for your needs and minister healing to your body, just whatever, whatever was needed. And it, uh, the message blew me away, absolutely blew me away. Well, it was another year, really almost two years, until I went to Bible school there in, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, just outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was run by Brother Hagen's ministry, Kenneth Hagen Ministries. And I, I kind of jumped in at the deep end. There were things that I didn't know and had to learn that were taken for granted, I think, by the, by the school. The school pretty much assumed that everybody was at a certain level, and most everybody would have been, I guess, but I wasn't one of them. I just had not had the opportunity to put the Word of God in my heart to the degree that I, I eventually did or that I wanted to at the time. And so I've thought about that a lot over the last week, things that I wish I had known. So let's start in John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right off the bat, the Bible is telling us, Jesus himself is telling us that the word is the key to freedom. Now, freedom encompasses a lot of different things. For example, we want to be free from sickness and disease. The word's the answer for that. We want to be free from poverty. The word's the answer for that. We want to walk in peace in our lives. The word's the answer for that. Everything that we can hope to, can want or hope to want, the answer is in the Word. Now, if God didn't want you to be free, He wouldn't tell you how to be free. And again, it all comes down to if you continue in my Word. 
The Word has all the answers. So I want to share with you a couple of things tonight about things I wish I had known when I was just coming into the so-called faith message. The first is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. Here's God speaking of himself. He said, for I am the Lord. I change not. The first thing that I wish I had known when I first started off was that God never changes. Because, folks, the implications of that, the meaning of that, if it's true, if God never changes, then we don't have to go through our Christian life wondering what God's doing or who's behind some tragedy or some uh, difficult experience, some adversity or whatever. I'll have to say that when at the time that I started Bible school, again, I was about... Uh, what would I have been, 24 years old then, I guess. I didn't know who was doing what in my life. I didn't have a clear understanding of what God was doing and what the devil was doing. I remember Brother Hagin hearing, uh, telling a story about many years back during the heating revival, which lasted uh, through most of the 50s, the 1950s, there was a situation where everybody was having tent meetings and tents were popping up everywhere and, and that type of thing. Well, somebody put a tent up and a, uh, a big tornado or strong wind or something came through and just tore up his tent. Brother Hagin said the tents were subject to destruction like that to such a degree that you couldn't, by the end, you couldn't get insurance on your tent. And so Brother Hagin was talking to the fellow, the minister, whose tent had blown away and been destroyed. And he said something to the effect that I don't know why God would send a wind to tear up my tent. And he was really agonizing and struggling over the thing. And Brother Hagin tried to share it with him. He said, God's not in the business of tearing up gospel tents. Why would God want to do that? And he made the point that if the ministers don't know who's doing what, then what hope is there for the layman? So he made the point that God is consistent, that he never changes, and if he never changes, then we can understand him. And that's one of the biggest things that I think is missing in much of the body of Christ. They have adversities and they experience difficulties in their life, and they don't know who's doing what. They don't know if it's God trying to get their attention or if it's the devil and folks, if you don't know where the source of your trouble is, there's no way you can stand in faith against it. For example, if God's making you sick for any reason, there are a number of reasons that people claim. Sometimes he makes you sick because he wants to teach you something. Sometimes he wants to put you in a hospital to get somebody saved. All kinds of goofy things like that. But if you know who's behind the trouble that you find yourself in, and it's always the devil... If you know that and you know God doesn't change and you know the consistency of God according to his word, then that's the place where we can apply the word to our lives and experience freedom and victory. There's another reference that I want you to see in Numbers chapter 23. Moses is speaking for God and he said, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In each one of these cases, there's a combination that's shown 
that God never changes. God's always the same. He's consistent. He's trustworthy. He's faithful because he's consistent and never changes. And therefore, his word is always good. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. There's not even a shadow of God turning and being different. He's always the same. He's always consistent. He's always sure. He's always true. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Well, folks, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then God would have to be. Because if, the, if Jesus was the same but God wasn't always the same, then they would be at odds with one another and that would be sin. So we see there's four references in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The Bible gives us four references and many others that aren't quite as clear cut as what we've named or read out. But we've got four references that we've looked at just here briefly that identify that God never changes. If God never changes, then that means what he wanted in the beginning for mankind is what he still wants for us today. That means if Jesus was the healer in his earthly ministry, he's still the healer today. That means God never even thinks about turning away from his word or not keeping his word. I remember um, reading after Smith Wigglesworth, and he was a man that was greatly used of God. They called him the apostle of faith because he had a daredevil faith. He was so bold it was just something you had to shake your head at. But he always dealt with people the way that God told him to. And there were times where God directed him to deal with them pretty rough. There was one time that um, George Sturmont, who was a younger minister when Wigglesworth was in his old age, we had an acquaintance with him for several years and he preached at our church several times. And he told me a story once. I asked him because most of the, um, the stories about Wigglesworth were about how hard or gruff he was and then, according, and then, of course, the miracles that resulted. And there were some people that tried to imitate what Wigglesworth did and the way that he dealt with people. For example, there was one guy, the second night of the meeting, that he came up to be prayed for. And when Wigglesworth got to him in the healing line, he asked him, he said, you look familiar. Didn't I pray for you last night? And he said, yes, you did. And Wigglesworth turned him around, kicked him in the seat of the pants and said, what are you doing back here tonight for? Now, that was an act of faith on Wigglesworth's part. And Brother Storm, I told me, I asked him about that and other similar things that we had heard through the years. And he said this. He said, Mike, he said, there were times where I saw Brother Wigglesworth deal harshly with somebody or real strong would be what you'd consider gruff, almost mean to them. He said, after one of those occasions they were together and brother Wigglesworth just began crying and saying Lord why would you why did you have me to deal with somebody like that so it wasn't something that he was just rough and ready and trying to impose himself or do something out of the flesh it was something that God directed him to do well Wigglesworth would go into these meetings many of them were church meetings but others were city halls and and um, um, they didn't have convention centers back there, but larger meeting places in, in the cities or the towns. 
And he would start off a meeting just teaching the word, preaching the word of faith, talking about God honoring the prayer of faith and honoring the spoken word and things like that. And if depending on how the meeting would go, within the first couple of days of the meeting, he'd call somebody up that had one of the most difficult or, or um, tougher situations where it comes to healing or concern. In other words, he'd call somebody up that was crippled instead of somebody that had a headache. And there were several times where people would know, the people of the town would know these people Maybe somebody was crippled or somebody that was bedridden or something like that. And everybody was aware of their situation. And when he would call out this person to come to the front or have others bring them to the front to be prayed for, there was one, at least one situation that I remember reading about where Wigglesworth called this guy up and the whole congregation just gasped. It's kind of like, oh. Because they knew this guy. They knew the severity of his situation, the sickness or the disease that he had. And Brother Wigglesworth heard that. He heard the crowd gasp, which told him two things. First of all, everybody knew him. And secondly, he was on his own. He wasn't going to get anybody to believe with him. But he turned around to the crowd and he said, what would you make that sound for? You don't think God's not going to honor his word tonight, do you? And he ministered to the guy and the guy was instantly healed. He found the answer. The answer was in the word. Now, I know that it may have more to do with his particular call, the ministry call that was on his life. I don't doubt that a bit. But what an example. What a proof to the unchanging nature of God and his faithfulness to his word. I want you to look with me to John chapter 10. The first of the Bible basics, the first thing I wish I had known is that God never changes. Second thing I wish I had known was that God was always good. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. We just read a moment ago, James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift, every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning God's the author of everything that's good God's the author of everything that's perfect and since God's the same and his word never changes that means if he ministers healing to one that has to be a good gift well if he ministers healing or his will is for healing for one then for God to never change and for God to always be consistent, then healing has to be available for all. That's the kind of faithfulness that we need to develop toward God's word. That's the kind of answers that we need to have to give to people when they're in trouble and they come to us for help. God is good and God's only good. And anything that's, that's associated with evil Jesus said the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Well, then that means God's not going to be killing anybody. That means God's not going to be destroying anybody. That means God's not going to steal from anybody. Because that's always the work of the devil. When I began seeing some of these things very early on, it helped me understand 
why there never was anybody in Jesus' ministry that was like so many in the modern-day church that claimed that God wants them sick for some unknown reason or, or whatever. Jesus never found any of those people. Jesus never came to somebody or somebody come to him and said that God wanted them to be sick for his glory. Jesus never, in all the multitudes and all the, the uh, well, the great multitudes, all the people that he ministered to throughout his three and a half years of earthly ministry, he never found one that it was God's will to, to stay sick. He never found a certain, in any individual, any single individual, that God wanted them to be sick. He never found anybody that God had made sick because God is only good. And from Acts chapter 10, verse 38, we know that healing is always good. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now notice the reason that he did good, for God was with him. If every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, then it was necessary for God to be with Jesus to do good things. There was a fellow that came to Jesus and asked, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and he's God. He was talking about the Father God. Goodness and good things truly come from the Father. And the fact that the Holy Ghost was with him, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost when John baptized him in the Jordan River. The fact that God was with him ensured his ability to do good and to only do good. So here this verse of Scripture tells us about who's the one doing good and who's the one oppressing people. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. They tell a story about a man named John Alexander Dowie. Dowie was a Scottish minister that wound up pastoring a church in uh, about 1870 in Australia. And there was some plague, there was some great sickness that came through that, uh, uh, well, really the whole country of Australia. And people would die just right and left. This was a plague that was killing everybody that, it, that touched it or came in contact with. Brother Dowie had lost 40 people of his church to this disease. And there were several more on their deathbed. They had to put tents outside in makeshift hospitals out in the, the streets and the, the uh, roads around because everything was so filled up. Any hospitals they had during those days were just completely swamped. And so Dowie had just come back from ministering to somebody in his church and they had died. And so he came to his home and he fell down in, his, in the middle of the floor right as he entered into the home. He fell down on his face and he said, God, is all my church going to die? And the Holy Ghost spoke to him, Acts 10.38. He knew the scripture, but it wasn't something that he was applying. It certainly wasn't anything that he understood relative to this 
epidemic or pandemic that they were experiencing. But the Holy Ghost quoted Acts 10, 38 to him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Instantly, Brother Dowie saw that God was the healer, that healing was always good, and the devil was the one that's making everybody sick. From that point forward, he stuck his sword in the ground, so to speak. He prayed the prayer of faith. He made a declaration of faith, not even really knowing that he was doing it, I don't think, or what it would be called. But he said, that's it. Not another member of my church is going to die to this disease. And they didn't. There were several others that contracted it, and there were several that were on their deathbed, but every person in his church survived if they contracted the disease and not another person died. Now I want to bring you to one other point, one other Bible basic, and that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Folks, the third point I want you to see is that God teaches us by his word. Remember where we started in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those that believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. If we continue in his word, we know the truth, and the truth will always make us free. And again, that's freedom in every area. But Jesus didn't say, the truth, along with being sick and going through difficulties and tests and trials and adversities and being stolen from or experiencing tragedy with your family or your kids, he didn't say any of those things were what were profitable to instruct us in righteousness. God only deals with us with his word. Let me point you to James chapter 1. We read verse 17 a minute ago. Notice what it says in verse 13. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Now this word tempted is the word test. Now there are times in the Old Testament particularly where we see that people were put to the test. I don't think there's any greater example of that than Abraham being instructed of God to present his son as a sacrifice. Now, if you look at the language, you'll find out God never did tell him, tell Abraham to kill Isaac. He said to offer him as a sacrifice. Well, we know the story, how that they did everything God told them to do. Isaac was laid upon the altar, and Abraham drew his hand back with the knife in his hand to strike his son down. And the angel appeared to Abraham and said, don't do him any harm. Stop. And he related to Abraham, now I know since you haven't withheld your son from me, now I know that I will not withhold my son from you. And of course, he was talking about Jesus. So there are times where we are tested. And folks, I, I have to tell you the truth. I think any scripture that gives us instruction on what to do is a test. For example, the Bible says, bring, bring the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, 
if I will not open under, the, under you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Well, it's a test. We see the promise of God, but each one of us are tested as to whether or not we're going to act on it, whether or not we're going to perform according to what the Bible tells us to do. And that's part of growing in faith. It's part of growing in the knowledge of God's faithfulness. It's part of gaining experience in life to see that God will honor his word and do just exactly what he said that he would do. But here it says God doesn't tempt any man with evil. So there are times where he puts us to the test, gives us instruction in, in his word on what we should do, but then leaves it up to us as to whether or not we're going to act on it. But God never tempts anybody with evil. That means sickness is not given by God to anybody to teach them something. God only teaches us one, one way, and that's through his word. The word is sufficient to teach us. It's sufficient to provide faith for us to act on it and come through into victory whatever situation we're facing, whatever circumstances are against us. So God uses his word and only his word to teach us, to instruct us, to discipline us, if you will. The Bible says the chastisement of the Lord is precious in his sight. Well, what is chastisement? Chastising is just simply dis disciplining God disciplines us through his word. He disciplines us by showing what his promise is. Sometimes we learn on the negative side. We fail to do what God's word tells us to do, and we suffer the consequences for it, but that's not God bringing the consequences upon us. That's us failing to give heed to what to do to avoid them by acting on his word. But God uses his word and only his word to instruct us. Only his word. Thank God for the word of God. I finally, lastly, I want to bring you to Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to start in verse 7. It said, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven. Now he's using an example here, an earthly example that we all are familiar with, to show how the word comes down to benefit us. He uses the water cycle. He says, for as the rain comes down from, and the snow from heaven, and returns not there, thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now back up to verse 10. Let's get the import of what he's saying. He's saying here's what the rain does. The rain comes out of the sky and waters the earth. The snow come, comes on top of the mountains and, and, uh, uh, and the snow cap then melts. We know that plants, crops, any planted thing won't grow without water. Some plants take more water than others, but everything needs to have water, even the things that grow in the desert. And so he's talking about the watering of the earth, the rain being for the watering of the earth, so that it will produce fruit. Now what we don't see is the completion of the water cycle. We see the rain coming down. We see the effect that it has on the ground and the crops or the plantings that it nourishes as they grow up and become fruitful. 
What we don't see is the evaporation of the water from the earth that goes back into the sky to create rain that, more rain that comes down. The, the unseen part is not the rain. We see and experience the rain coming down. We experience the snow falling on the mountains. What we don't see is the water evaporating from the earth and going back up into the heavens. We know the snow caps are really important to several states, California being one of them, because most of the clean water, the clean rivers and drinking water that we have, at least in our state, comes from the snow caps. And so it provides things that keeps us alive. The snow melting off the mountains is very important to keep us alive. But again, a certain amount of the water will evaporate and go back up. The water vapor will go back up into heaven and be used to create more rain or more snow. So this is the example that he's using. He says, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. The words like the rain that comes down from heaven. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He's saying the word just like rain waters the seed of God's word. Those things that we have spoken from our heart in faith because we saw what God's word says. The things that we have prayed in faith. The things that we've taken hold of from the word of God because Jesus purchased them for us. He says that will not return unto him void. In other words, there's an unseen part of this too. The unseen part is where we speak the word and it goes with power back up into heaven to produce more rain or in this case more results according to the seed of God's word depending on what kind of seed we planted. If we planted healing seed, then the words that we spoke Speaking God's words, return unto God, but not without power, but with great power. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. When God spoke his word, that was the first witness. When we speak his word back to him, that's the second witness. And he said, my word shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It will grow crops, spiritual crops, healing crops provision crops, peace crops, righteousness crops. It'll produce exactly what the Word of God was designed to produce. Just as natural rain produces crops in the field, God's Word spoken back to him produces supernatural results. So it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. In other words, healing scriptures will produce healing. Provision scriptures will produce provision. Peace scriptures will produce peace. Righteousness scriptures will produce righteousness. It'll produce according to the thing that it was sent to do. It will accomplish God's purposes. Even though we can't see it, when we speak his word and it returns unto him with power, we can't see the power. We can't see with our natural eye, our physical eye. We can't see the results that it will bring but God said that it always produces results. Now those results we can see. When our healing is manifest, then we can see that the unseen part 
return God's word with power to accomplish exactly what he sent it to do. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, or void of power, or empty of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Finally, folks, there are five places in Jesus' ministry where he said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never fail. God's word never, ever fails. He never changes. So the same thing he wanted for Adam and Eve when he put them in the Garden of Eden, the paradise, the perfect world, he wants the same thing for you and me today. The healing that God willed for people that Jesus ministered to because he never changes. He wants that healing for you and me as well. The provision that he ministered time and time again to different people in the scriptures, since God never changes, he wants the same thing for you and me. God desires to meet our needs when we operate in faith and speak his word back to him because that word produces results. Faith words Produce faith, produce faith results. Healing words produce healing results. Prosperity words produce prosperity. And heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never fail. God will never let you down, folks. Be a doer of his word and speak what he said back to him. And watch the power of God manifest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your unchanging characteristics. Thank you, Father, that your word is just as sure today as when you first gave it. And it never loses its power. We thank you, Father, that as we continue in your word, we do know the truth and the truth does set us free. So we declare that we're free in every respect. By the word of God, which said Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. We say we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We say, Father, that you shall meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We say, Father, that the peace of God is upon us, and the peace of God rules and reigns in our hearts because our mind is stayed on thee. Because, Father, we simply trust you. We reckon on your faithfulness. We thank you for watching over your word to perform it, Lord. And for keeping us by the power of your word.